Okay, let's welcome Matt. Let's uh, welcome him back and uh, as he brings the word to us. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you have uh, made Matt uh, to be a good communicator, a man who is committed to sharing the gospel. And we pray this morning you give him freedom to, to share what you've laid on his heart and you'd give us uh, ears that hear what you want to say to us individually but also as your body. So uh, fill him afresh with your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Well, it's good to be able to share in God's word as well with you this morning. Um, I've put myself a, a stopwatch on conscious that I don't overrun my time as well, um, so you don't actually miss the possibility of going and grabbing some lunch today. Um, but um, it's spring, isn't it? Spring is here. I feel like it's here, don't you? Um, I like spring as a, as a season, um, not least because of the flowers and everything else that seems to come to flourish, but also it's the time when you begin to see bees uh, go out into the fields, don't you? You begin to see bees in your garden potentially, and bees go out to go and collect their main source of food, pollen, protein. Um, I'm not going to have a debate today whether you like bees or not, uh, that's by the by. But uh, you begin to see them scurrying and going from flower to flower. But bees are fascinating, aren't they? They actually are fascinating because without bees, I don't know if you realise this, but our ecosystem would just, in terms of the flowers, would just collapse. Because actually there's some flowers that can't self-pollinate. I don't quite understand that, but there's some flowers that can't. So actually bees are essential to some flowers to actually thrive and survive and flourish. And... It struck me actually then that our lives, just like the bee's lives, but actually a bee's purpose sometimes in their life isn't ultimately about themselves completely. And it struck me that actually our life, our work, actually isn't always just about us, is it? It's actually so that others can flourish and that the kingdom of God can flourish through our work. And that's kind of what I want to speak about today, just for a moment time um, I've entitled my message I said to Amy that I wouldn't sing it completely but work 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 some of you might get that reference uh, some of you might not depend on what radio channel you listening to but anyway it's all about work and don't don't switch off if you don't have a full-time job don't switch off just stay tuned in for the next 15 minutes because it is completely relevant what I'm about to speak to you this morning because actually the reality is that, um, and I, I sort of created this mini-series that you're getting a part one of. Um, I sometimes do this. I create a sermon series just because I, I feel like I get a word from God and I just want to write it down. This is my sort of first part, and it's going to, we're going to reflect on the book of Daniel and chapter one if you want to go there with me in a moment, but uh, Daniel chapter one. But it struck me that actually so often in our lives that we could actually fail to live out the, the vocation and the calling of what God has placed in our lives. Because actually, there's a difference between a job and a vocation. There's a difference between a job and a vocation. Because if you look from the Latin word vocatio, uh, it literally means calling. It literally means calling. And I think the problem is so many of us, Potentially, we don't actually, I haven't actually had the opportunity, maybe even, if it would be at school or college or through our early career, to stop maybe and go, actually, God, what is it that you've called me to do? 
What is it in your sovereignty? What is it that you've placed in my heart to do? Maybe you've come to Christ later on in your life. So actually you haven't had that sort of teaching yet. So maybe you haven't had the opportunity yet to, to stop maybe just for a moment and say, actually, God, what is it you've called me to do? What is it that you've called me to do? See, there's going to be three questions that I'm going to be teaching my girls as they grow up. Uh, three questions. And the third one really isn't quite as important. And I actually asked these questions this morning to Olivia over breakfast. She didn't quite understand the questions just yet. She's a bit too young being four years old. But I said, and it's these three questions. And we, I think, ourselves should be answering them I hope today who is your master who is your master we all have a master today that we serve actually I didn't realize David was going to read that passage about money but actually maybe it's money that you serve maybe money is the thing that is your master maybe it's someone in your life maybe it's yourself let me tell you if it's any of those things It's only going to go one way and it ain't going to be a good way. Who is your master? Because actually I believe we've been called to serve the creator of the universe. That is the master. And actually he should be the one that we look to for divine inspiration and guidance on big decisions and small things in our life. Number two, what is your mission? What is your mission? I, I put emphasis on your because actually it's you it's your unique gifts, your unique purpose that God has breathed and spoken into your life before you were even born. He spoke into existence over your life. What is your mission? And thirdly, who is your mate? I use the word mate because actually it doesn't have to be partner, wife, husband. But actually, who is your mate? Who are the people that you're journeying with in your life? Three questions that I think are so important for each one of us as we journey through that vocation of the calling that God has placed in us. But as I mentioned, I want to talk about work today, okay? And I want to take you, if I can, uh, to the beginning of Genesis, uh, when God created the heavens and the earth. If you've been to Bible, you know, been to sort of Sunday schools, you, you know this story that God put in six days, worked hard, and he, he created the heavens, the earth, the sea, the sky, the birds, the bees, every single thing he created, and on the seventh day, he rested. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Actually, God didn't rest because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. But actually, he rested because actually, he was reflecting, I think, of, of, of the creation that he had made. And maybe for some of us today, if nothing else from my message, the most godly thing you can do when you walk out of here is take a Sabbath. That's the most godly thing you can do in the whole of your week is say, actually, I'm going to take a Sabbath. And maybe Sunday is not your Sabbath, because actually Sunday you're really busy. And Sunday you do so many things, but actually a Sabbath is a day of rest, reflecting on what God has done in your week. Reflecting on all the things that have been, and looking forward to all that is to come. And maybe that's the most godly thing you can do with your life today, is actually say, you know what, I'm going to take a Sabbath. And not feel guilty for it. <laughs> take a Sabbath. But I want to take you to Genesis 2.15 because it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. I'm going to repeat that. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Now this is before sin ever entered into the world, right? 
before sin ever entered into the world. And what was the man doing? Working. I'm sorry, <laughs> everyone, brothers and sisters, but before sin ever entered into the world, there was work. <laughs> but actually, in the perfection of the garden, there was work. There was stuff to be done. There was a job to be done. There was work. And actually, I want to challenge our sort of views on work and the views of what we do in our day-to-day life. Actually, that work is not inherently bad. It's not inherently something that we should dread. Yes, there might be aspects which are difficult, but actually it's not inherently bad. I mean, again, not to be a bearer of bad news, but in the new heaven and new earth, there is going to be work. So those of you that are retired right now, I'm sorry, but you have to put a shift back in soon. Because <laughs> actually there's going to be work in the new heavens and new earth. God says there will be work. But the good thing is there won't be any of the thorns and thistles that come with work. I won't get you know, complaint emails or something when I've done something wrong. I won't get deadlines to have to meet. Work will look differently in the new heavens and new earth. But there will be work. I love what Timothy Keller says about work. He says this, Work is as much of a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, sexuality. It's not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Food for our soul. Work is good. And can be good. And actually, without he says, without meaningful work, we sense some, a significant loss and emptiness. And actually, I'm, I'm speaking to the retired here, on those that maybe can't work, for whether it be because of emotional, physical, mental reasons, maybe there is a, a slight element of emptiness in your life. And actually, I want to suggest maybe that's because of the lack of work that is there in your life and so what I want to encourage today is actually pray and encourage you to pray maybe there's an avenue that God needs to open up for you to find new work I'm not saying go back to full-time paid work but actually if there's an an element of your life that God wants to use and the gifts that he's used you for I was speaking to a retired person actually and I, I like what he said about retirement he said actually I've seen it as a time of realignment not retirement, but realignment, where you know, God's just using me for different things now. I've got more freedom, so I don't, I'm not burdened down by you know, a nine to five, but actually I can find new things to do in my retirement. A, a perfect example for me in my life, um, and you'll know him because he comes here and speaks from time to time, is Philip Warburton. He's, for me, is someone who's a really good example of someone that has taken retirement and almost probably does more work now. Am I right, Steve? I don't know. You know? But he pours his retirement in terms into young ministers, into leaders. Dave will be is, is a benefactor of that still today. And there's so many other leaders that benefit have benefited or are still benefiting from him realigning his retirement so that he can continue to use the gifts that God has given him to boost the kingdom of God. See, when we look at Daniel. And hopefully some of you will know the story of Daniel. But if you don't, turn with me to chapter 1 of Daniel. What we see is that uh, the context is in the Babylonian exile. Okay, And the Babylonian exile basically speaks to a period of Israel where that God has almost lost his patience because he keeps sending these prophets, he keeps sending help, but they just keep letting him down. They keep ignoring him, they keep frustrating him. And actually God 
uses a bit of discipline almost in the Babylonian exile time because actually um, he uses um, Babylonia almost as an instrument of discipline to a certain extent. And actually there's, a, there's an element of God that actually he does discipline as well as love. Just like a father or a mother would, you know, go too far and they snap <laughs> and the discipline comes in, right? Just like God, he acts exactly the same. And so we see King Nebuchadnezzar uh, taking over the land. And he takes some of the most intellectual and also handsome. I love this in the Bible, right? The, the Bible says that Daniel was handsome. I mean, if, if the Bible says you're handsome, then you must have been a good looker, right? Um, so Daniel was handsome. And um, looking at the time, and Plato also sort of influences this too. He says that roughly we can say the ages of... Um, Daniel and his friends when they were taken were roughly about between 14 and 17 so they were young boys at the time and so they were extracted from their home and given basically a full-time sort of role within the um, the training grounds of the king at the time and so Daniel works in Babylon he lives in Babylon does all these various things in Babylon and Babylon is an interesting place because actually, um, 92 times in scripture, Babylon is mentioned. 92 times. And it's often used as a metaphor to describe a system that is hostile to the things of God. In Revelation, that image is used. I'm not going to go into it just for time's sake. But actually, in Revelation, it mentions how Babylon is this hostile environment. And it struck me that actually each one of us, in our day-to-day lives, go into Babylon. We go into Babylon, into that hostile environment that actually isn't for God, isn't living uh, in the same values that is a Christian values environment. It's not completely for maybe all the things you believe in take you from the word of God. Each one of us has a Babylon that we go into. Maybe multiple Babylons, actually. But each one of us, I think, do have that Babylon that we are also assigned to see Daniel was assigned to Babylon effectively but actually Daniel began to use his life to reflect God's glory in that dark situation I mean there was a gentleman called William Wilberforce you might not have heard of him many of you hopefully have heard of him but he was working in parliament at the time and he gets saved And so he decides he wants to quit his job in Parliament. So he goes to his minister before he quits, um, John Newton. I'm glad he did go to his minister before he quit. And he says to him, I want to quit. And John Newton says, no, I don't want you to quit. Why don't you leverage your love for Jesus and change Babylon? Because William Wilberforce saw the slave trade that was going on at the time in the UK and how they were almost being the pioneers and the ones that were pushing it forward, the slave trade, and didn't like it. And he wanted to quit. But John Newton said, no, why don't you leverage your love for what you have for God and why don't you make a difference? And so he did. And so actually William Wilberforce actually uh, decided, and he said he wrote this in his, in his diary, my walk is a public one, my business in, is in the world and I must mix in the assembly of men that which providence seems to have signed to me. You see, Wilberforce recognised that God had placed him in the position of power that he was in so that he could almost leverage it to be able to abolish the slave trade. 
aren't we glad that he went and spoke to his minister before he quit? <laughs> so what I'm not talking about today is, you know, just to sort of, as I begin to close and sort of give my last two points is this, is that I'm not asking you today or tomorrow to go in and sort of start begin to read your Bible for an extra hour and don't do your work. That's not what I'm asking you to do. But what I'm challenging you is actually how can you leverage your love for Jesus and the positions that you have and the places that you are and leverage them so that you can begin to change your Babylon. And how do we do it? There's two very simple ways we learn from Daniel um, that we can do this by. Number one is competency. Number one is competency. The best witness, I think, one of the best witnesses is not simply words, but actually it's a job well done. If Christians are lazy and don't work and don't put the effort in and don't love and don't care for their jobs, what example does that show to the world? What care does that show for the world? If we, don't, if we turn up late, leave early, sit on our phones during work, if we don't actually do a good job, what does that say for the witness? And, it, and if that's you, maybe, then please don't say you're a Christian. Honestly, because actually that witness is not a good one. We should be the first ones there when we got to be in terms of our time for work. We should be the ones that actually are dedicated to delivering during the hours of work that we've been called to work. Competency actually is a good witness. You don't have to say any words. Just do your, just by you doing your job well begins to speak of God's love in your life. And number two, and that's, and that's also something that Daniel, I think, reflects in his story with the king. What we see in Daniel 1, and this is the second one, know your limit. Because actually Daniel's name was changed. But what we see in Daniel chapter 1 is this. Um, let's just go to ver- it's verse, verse 7. The chief official gave him new names. Daniel, the name of Belteshir, Hanajar, Shadrach, to Meshach, and Meshach, and Azara to Bendigo. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And so what Daniel did was when he was living in the king's courts, they wanted him to eat this food. Now, I, 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 I was challenged by this this week, because actually I always think of this, this food being really lavish, right? And it was lavish, but actually it wasn't because it was lavish. That's not the reason why Daniel didn't want to eat it. He didn't want to eat it because he didn't want to... Uh, eat food that wasn't prepared in the right way because of his Jewish descent, because of his beliefs in Yahweh, in God. That's why he didn't want to eat it, because it would go against what God had called him to do. And there was a limit there. And actually he said, no, that, that enough's enough. I can't eat that food because that is going to directly impact my relationship with God. There was a limit. It wasn't just because oh, I don't really fancy chicken tonight. There's actually a limit and actually, each one of us should have that too. In our own lives, there has to be that limit we get to of our own work and our own um, things that we do. When people ask us to do things, actually, there has to be a limit. Say, so actually, you know what? I'm going to stand against that because actually, I don't agree with it. And I should be bold enough to say, actually, though, that's, that's my limit. You see, as I begin, as I close now, each one of us has a calling on our lives. I believe that firmly. Each one of us has that calling on our lives. And actually God 
by his divine providence and his opportunities that he's granted us. He's placed us in situations of Babylon. He's placed us with people, with friends, with family that we have the opportunity, people that I would never meet potentially, but you do, have the opportunity to be able to witness the love of God to them. And actually I want to encourage you to live out a sense of purpose with competency. Be the best you can be. Be the best version of you you can be. Not for your own sake, but actually for God's sake. So that others see God's love in your life and actually have those principles in your life where there is limits, just like Daniel. And say, actually, you know, enough's enough. You know what, I'm going to stand true to who God has called me to be and to do in this life. Because I firmly believe that if we do that, actually we change our perspective on work, but actually it's not something inherently bad, but actually it's something that can be inherently good for the kingdom, lives will be transformed and workplaces will be transformed because that is the mission field for each one of us, whether we're retired or not, we all have that same common mission field that we are called to directly be good news to because that is the great commission that we are all given by God and by Jesus to go out to all the nations and transform lives. So I want to challenge us to do that today. And and let's bow our heads. And it links to what Dave challenged us earlier, actually, is that actually we were called to be new vessels of the Holy Spirit. Actually, if we were to go and impact our workplaces, impact the lives of those around us in the communities that we serve every week, we need to be those new vessels. We need to be those people that seek after the true master Seek after the mission that God has given us. So I want to give you that opportunity again, even if you already responded, but actually say, yes, God, I want more of you poured into my life, more of that Holy Spirit to transform me. Just ask and invite God now. So Father God, I pray for each one of us in this room, each one of these missionaries in this room, Lord, that actually, as they go out from this place, Lord, that they would too be beacons of hope, of life, of love. That actually, when they go into their Babylon, Lord, that actually they would be change makers and people's lives would be impacted as a result because of the work that they do and the jobs that they do. And Lord, might we not look at a Monday as a bad thing, but actually as a great thing, because another week that begins as an opportunity to serve you new and afresh. So Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you have poured into our lives today and how you've worked in this room. Lord, build us up. Not for our own sakes, Lord, now, but for yours, Father, we pray. Mould us, shape us into the likeness of your Son. So, Lord, when people see us in the streets, see us in our communities, Lord, they will notice something different about us. And, Lord, we can't do this alone, just like Daniel couldn't do it. 
he had to walk with you, even in the lion's den, even when there was fire around him. You were always there, and Lord, we need you hemming us in by our side, behind us, and pushing forward, Lord, new paths, new opportunities. And I pray for that in particular for those in this room that maybe today they or are either reflecting on a new opportunity that they've been given, or maybe they are looking for new opportunities. Lord, I pray you will create an open door there. Excuse the pun. But also, Father, I pray for those as well that maybe have felt dissatisfied and almost, Lord, have kind of got tired of their own work environment, Lord. Maybe because of the years of service or maybe just because of the role that they've found themselves in. Lord, I pray against the the words of dissatisfaction, Lord, and, and pray new life into that situation. Would you fan a flame for their passion once again? And Lord, see, show them how you are using them and are going to use them, Lord. And if it is your will, you guide them into new pastures as well. Because Father, as your servants, we want to serve you. So Lord, guide us, I pray, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.